You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. Hi. Hi. <laughs> We're not usually morning people for our recording. I know, I know. I, we both have our coffee, which is which is good. So, yeah. yeah. How are things? Good, good. It's been a busy week. I'm trying to finish up the strength training course that's coming out. It'll be coming out the day after this podcast that that's we've been so working exciting. on with Feisty. Yeah, um, it's called Strong Strength Training for Women. Yeah, tell me a Victoria. bit about it. Well, I was in Victoria all weekend filming, and we've recorded 50 videos. Oh my gosh so it's really a lot it's actually the woman that taught me a woman I mean she's younger than me but a friend of mine that I worked with in Atlanta she initially taught me how to lift like use barbells but we do like a body weight a um dumbbell and a barbell program all so you can go from one to the other like depending Mm -hmm. on what equipment you have within the program and we have demos for all of them um, but what I'm most excited about is we have like a dietitian that's going to talk all oh, about, cool. um, what you should eat before and after our program. She's got some recipes in there. We have a physiotherapist that talks about injury prevention, mobility, um, Erin, Ayala is back talking Yay! about goal setting and some and microaggressions for mansplaining. So I'm pretty excited. It's going to be a really good that course. Is, that sounds incredibly practical. It's very practical. Like the goal is for any woman to take it and feel like she has knows whatever she needs to know to feel confident and yeah. starting. Well, and it also helps um, navigate what it really does mean to lift heavy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're pretty excited about it. What have you that been up to? Good. Well, I went and made a hat. <laughs> I saw the pictures. It's so cute. I love it. I mean, I know you don't like the word cute, but. is it more? No, I love the word cute. Are you kidding me? I love, I love it. It's, and the hat is super cute. It's very cute. I, you know, is there anything that's more fitting for me to go do? You know, cause I love, I love hats. So, um, no, it was really kind of a, it was, it was crazy. My friend, Vanessa Hoswald just called me and said, you have to say yes. And I was like, okay. And she's like, will you go to this hat workshop with me? And I was like, well, I guess the answer is yes. <laughs> Cause you told me I have to say yes, but it was really, it was really fun. Um, it was out in Nevada city, California. Um, and the class, which was great. The classes didn't start until 11 AM. So, you know, I get up in the morning and go run some new trails that, you know, new to me trails anyway, that was really fun. Just exploring. Um, it's, I'm kind of glad that I've added that running back in because, you know, taking my bike there would not have been practical for a, like a two day trip. And having, you know, just throwing my running shoes on and getting out in the morning and running trails was super, it was just a great way to start the day. So it was really, it was very, very, a very perfect trip with a lovely friend. And it just kind of reminds me, you know, get out and do stuff with your friends. Yeah. It was 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 really fun. It was, it was fun. And my hat did turn out really cute. Like, (laughs) like I wear it, which I love. Of course you wear it. Yeah. Hats everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Wear the hat. Anyway. always wear the hat yeah <laughs> always wear the hat but anyway yeah so it's fun cool well um and you're not going to steamboat I'm not time. we I pulled the plug on it which 
I'm do- I totally am already having FOMO. So, um, you know, I mean, it, it will have happened by the time you were hearing this, it had happened the past weekend. So, you know, I'm sure a full on FOMO effect will be happening for me, but Mason's racing it. We are, we are going to go out and just kind of hang out with friends and whatnot, but just with the coming and goings that we've had all summer long, it just felt better to just kind of stay put and, and relax because we've got a busy fall coming up. So taking advantage of another, of a weekend at home after being gone last weekend. So yeah. Yeah. How about you? Um, I'm probably going to be working on the course all weekend, so I won't be, I won't be at steamboat. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of sad. Cause, uh, well, our guests today, she's going to be racing steamboat. And then when she was talking about it, we were interviewing her. I was like, Oh, I'm having like the same FOMO. Yeah. Not necessarily from the writing, but from like kind of the from community part of it. being around yeah. the community. Cause I feel like it's been for me since, um, Unbound. since I saw everybody. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, are, yeah. Well, are you coming out to Big Sugar? Maybe, maybe not. And probably, I don't know. Probably not because we're going to Kona for the oh. championship, and that's like seven or eight days that I'll be gone. I didn't. In I did already. not see that. I did not see that invite in my inbox to go to Kona with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you you missed you were me. Saying you wanted to like <laughs> more to travel. <laughs> I don't know Bentonville. Kona. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are far enough apart. It's just, it's hard to be when you're gone for a one big trip. And yeah, month, I it's know. hard I mean, to go yeah, again. To go again. Yep. For sure. So, okay, awesome. Dog. I know. Poor Belle. But, but anyway, so we'll see. I've still, we've still got to figure the fallout. I'm just trying to get through the next well, thing first. <laughs> I'm stoked about the course. So obviously when that thing gets released, everybody should sign up for it. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's get strong together. Let's do it. Um, okay. I really loved talking to this guest. Uh, me too. We met her at Steamboat three years ago, had a short little interview with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I talked to her, the more we talked to her, I was like, the more I was like, this the is more the I think, the more I think she can literally save the world. Yes. So we talk with Alicia Zellner um, and I'm not going to go into it because she goes through all of her background, mm-hmm. but she kept mm-hmm. saying different things she's done. And I was like, how they're, old are and you? They're so <laughs> like, they're so well, well connected and well grounded. Yeah. Um, and really kind of from my perspective, a lot of what the world needs right now. So it's, it's a really good interview and she's just a really awesome human. So yeah, Enjoy I knew it. I could probably have not even been there. <laughs> She's such a great conversation. I know. I, I was like, I didn't. I just kind of like would we just kind of drop her questions so she could c- keep talking. It's really, I, it's, it's really interesting. So hopefully you enjoy it. Well, we will get on to our show with Alicia Solner. If you're looking for a bag to power your epic adventures, look no further than women-led brand Fierce Hazel. I love their bags and that they are all functional, which means they're lightweight, durable, and rainproof, which is very important. They are sustainable. All are made of upcycled or recycled or responsibly sourced materials. And they're made in California with unique designs. Some of the bags that I'm loving are their handlebar and saddle bags from their True Grit line that make it easy to carry everything and they're very lightweight. Uh, And their Echelon pouches. I have had so many Ziploc bags shoved into things everywhere, and these pouches just make it really easy to carry everything um, in one seamless pouch. 
you can go over to fiercehazel.com slash discount slash girls gone gravel and use the code girls gone gravel to get 30% off your purchase at checkout. All right. We have made this podcast recording happen. We all fell apart last week. (laughs) We did. We all fell apart. That's kind of funny. That's a funny way to put it. Um, Okay. This is somebody I've been excited to have on for quite a while because uh, we first met Alicia in Steamboat way back at one of our first like live coverage things. Uh, And you've had... And then we ran into each other again at Sea Otter this year, Alicia, and you have had major life changes. So I was like, you got to come on the podcast. We've got to get a big update. So, um, so welcome. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I love every time I I get to watch your podcast or watch any of your lives that you're doing. I just think you're doing incredible work. It's all Catherine. (laughs) We bring people on to compliment us. Here's five dollars. <laughs> yeah, I will take it in this economy. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that's funny. Well, we always just like to start asking. Tell us a little about how you got on the bike. Your your story with the bike. Yeah, uh, I feel like the bike is such a fun journey. Like, of course, I started as a kid. I learned how to ride a bike, but um, I was very tall, very fast and bikes are expensive. And my mom was a single mom of four and the other three are boys. So um, I, I rode a bike until I was too big for the bike. And then that was it for a while. Um, I think my first peek into riding a bike as an adult was actually in Amsterdam. Um, oh, cool. Amsterdam is almost like a fully bike commuter city. Um, and so we rented little cruiser bikes to explore the city as tourists. And it was just an incredible opportunity to one, do as the locals do, if you will, you know, respect their culture and, you know, what they're doing out there. Um, but being on the bike and, and getting to see a city, uh, you could do the same thing you could say, like by walking, but it's just a whole different kind of experience. Um, and then uh, that was like in my early twenties. Uh, and prior to all of my great bike things that I do now, I was a runner for about 13 years and I still do running, but it's actually taken a backseat to all of my biking I do now. But um, in 2014, I was like, hey, I need a cool way to uh, spice up running. Who does, who says that? I need a way to spice up my running. Um, by that time, I'd done uh, countless, like over 45 Ks, 10 Ks, you name it. And I was like, oh, I'll t- try my hand at a triathlon. Let's just throw biking and swimming into it. Um, and so I, uh, in 2014, I did my first sprint triathlon, which is my first taste of the bike. And I was like, man, this is actually like pretty awesome. Um, but it wasn't until late 2017, or early 2018, that I was finally able to save up all of my pennies, um, to afford a road bike in my size. And I loved it. Um, and basically at that point I was like, I want to do anything and everything that comes to road cycling, um, if you will. Uh, and in 2019, um, uh, you know, training for the police unity tour, um, and, uh, which is a 250 mile bike race from New Jersey to, uh, Washington DC to honor officers who were killed in the line of duty. Um, and 2020 was supposed to be in May that year was supposed to be the actual time, uh, frame in, uh, in which it was done, but COVID shut everything down. So, um, but because COVID had shut everything down and had canceled all of my run races, um, I had done like my last run race February of that year at Disney princess run throughout the park. Um, and so the bike was really just something that I felt like I could do in solitude. And I didn't really know about a bunch of bike races that existed. So training for the tour, riding my bike, um, uh, having the most fun ever. And then two weeks after 
the police unity tour was supposed to happen, George Floyd was killed. Um, and that's where me and the bike basically became one. Um, the bicycle was able to uh, give me a voice. And that's when I started my initiative, Bike Ride for Black Lives. So I am a late, uh, most people may call me a COVID cyclist, you know, if you will, but definitely a late bloomer into the cycling world. I want to hear more about the Disney princess run. <laughs> it was great. I won't lie to you. Those races in Disney are pretty, pretty awesome. But you have to remember that like after you do a 5k, 10k half or the full, then you have a full day of walking around Disney <laughs> and you are tired. Yeah, I've had several people that have done the dopey, which is just yes. as, as it sounds, which is yep. you do the 5k, the 5K. half marathon and the marathon. You missed the 10K in there. They do all four. 5K, 10K, half and full. The goopy what? is the 5K, 10K and the half. Yeah. This, that just sounds horrible. Like yeah. in, like through the course of a weekend? Or no. what? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like so, like, so like Thursday, oh. Thursday is the 5K, Friday is the 10K, Saturday is the half, Sunday is the full. And you do all, it's like 40 some odd miles. And that's in total called the dopey. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> Okay. Well, sorry. I'm, I'm kind of feeling a question away from that. I know. (laughs) And I think like, if my memory serves, we talked a little bit about this, but that's been a long time ago. So, um, you were a police officer when George Floyd was killed and you're in Colorado, correct? Yes. Yep. The Fort Collins area. Is that correct? Um, so yes, I was residing in Fort Collins, but again, big life changes. So now I reside in the Denver area. Okay. Yeah. We'll get to those in a minute, but, um, (laughs) So you said you became one once the bike was that like for the mental health of it? Like, cause I just think that must've been as a woman of color, a, and a police officer, like a very challenging time. Uh, it was exceptionally difficult. In fact, that was the whole reason, um, the bicycle kind of saved me, if you will. Um, cause as a black, as a black woman in a blue uniform, I felt like I was living in two worlds. I understood mm. two perspectives. When I wasn't wearing a blue uniform, I felt what the black community felt. You know, you can't identify a police officer outside of you know their uniform most time. Um, and the the perspectives of the situation and having knowledge on both sides, like it was just gut wrenching. It was just heart wrenching because I felt for the officers who you know have really tried to humanize the badge, but then I I feel for the black community has continued continuously been brutalized, you know, by law enforcement historically, you know, over the years. Um, and I had no outlet, you know, as a, as a woman in, uh, in uniform or just police officers in general were, were meant and supposed to be neutral. We're supposed to show up to every situation like a blank slate and be able to just listen to both sides and then obviously create an opinion. Um, but the problem was that I'm human and as a human, I have many emotions. And um, I had, I worked in a predominantly white uh, police department. There was only one other black individual um, and he was of higher rank. So he didn't work necessarily, you know, in patrol on the streets with me. Um, and I had no outlet and I couldn't talk to, you know, my coworkers about the things I was experiencing about seeing, um, you know, in the news and, you know, oftentimes in the community, when I became a police officer, there was a lot of backlash there too. Like, how can you be a black person, you know, in the uniform that most people would consider, you know, the, the uniform of the, like the oppressor. Um, and so it was a really big struggle for me. Um, and when I took to the bicycle, it was my way, one, of being able to find my voice. I got to use the bicycle to really talk to the community and be like, hey, like, these are our very real struggles on both sides. Like, this is very much like someone's real life. It's not just something that you see on the news and doesn't really impact you because it's six degrees of separation. Like, this is happening right here in your own community. Um, and then not only that, but it was a way for me to unite the communities 
to have the tougher conversations, but realize that like we have way more in common than we do differences, even if it just starts with the bicycle. Um, and that was powerful just to be able to use the bicycle as a tool um, to bring the community together, you know, even though we have, again, had the differences, but so much heart, so much love was just found in riding the road together. So the bike was sharing is common ground. Yep, absolutely. Nice. Yeah, I think I find that that happens so often, right? Like we may have very different politics or beliefs, but then we get on the bike together and it's just like, I don't know, it's just people and you have relationships. You're like, we're not as different. We're more like than we are different, you know? Absolutely. Um, what made you decide to become a police officer? Oh, great question. It's twofold for me. So prior to my eight years in law enforcement, I was actually a mental health counselor. Um, and I worked in wow. psychiatric facilities with 12 to 18 year olds who either had behavioral or drug and alcohol abuse issues. Um, and I would talk to um, a lot of the um, uh, youth and adolescents just kind of ask like, hey, when you were in crisis and obviously your parent sometimes would have to call the police because they needed help, like what was that experience? Um, and sometimes it was good. Sometimes it was a positive experience, but a lot of times it was not um, necessarily a positive experience. Um, and I, in the back of my mind, I was like, man, like if I can have such a powerful impact and be really great working in the hospital with individuals, you know, who have mental health issues or might be in crisis, like I definitely think that I could do that on the streets twofold. Um, when I was finishing my master's in justice policy, um, Mike Brown was killed in uh, Ferguson, Missouri. And one of the interesting calls for action that came out of Ferguson, truthfully, was that they had a predominantly black city that was being, you know, patrolled by a predominantly white police force. And mm -hmm. they're like, hey, we want to see, like, why do we not see more officers of color in uniform? Like, our entire neighborhood is black. Like, do or you know do we not have any officers of color that like would have applied like what's happening here um and so I was like okay like I am a woman of color like I could be a police officer and I could do a lot of really good work in crisis intervention de-escalation mental health um and co-responders didn't exist like they do today and that's the uh clinician that goes along with you know police officers to calls for service so I was like boom I will just become one and and go do the police work and so for me it was was uh, trying to create change from the inside out. Did you find you were getting to use that skill set a lot or was it? Oh, yes. Like, yeah. that, that, is, that is very much what I feel like my fellow officers put me to work in. Anytime yeah. we had a call and someone was experiencing suicidal ideation or anything like that, they're like, Alicia's got really good skills. Um, and ultimately, like later on in, in my career field, like I became uh, the verbal judo or de-escalation coach for officers. I was a crisis intervention coach. So I taught officers and help coach them through crisis intervention through a 40 hour a week scenario or 40 hour uh, scenario based training. Um, additionally, I coordinated our peer support team, which was like, hey, like officers, we we experience a lot of trauma out there on the field. Like we need support from people who are understanding it. Um, and additionally, like I sat on the 8th Judicial District Wellness Court Board um, and uh, Wellness Court uh, if you've ever heard of like drug court or DUI court, it's a specialty court, which specializes in individuals who have mental health issues and committed their crime either because of mental health issues or the um, self-medicating um, and needing to obviously like do that. And then they got in trouble with the court. So uh, wellness court was like, hey, we'll bring you into the special program. We'll get you counseling. We'll get you medication help. We'll help you with job stability and, and you know, things that like you need in order for you to then be successful and hopefully not have to like reintegrate back into the system. So I spent a lot of my police career actually focusing on mental health. I've never heard of wellness court. It is, is that... one of the best uh, 
Colorado, and I think only a few other states currently okay. have wellness court. That's what we need. <clears throat> That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, we could go down a whole, we oh, I know. whole oh, road God. with with that. And I'm sure you have so much expertise in it. Um, but you then ended up starting an organization. Um, I'm going to say it backwards. Bike rides for black lives. Yeah, bike ride for black lives. Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, and then you said that came out of that COVID time, like what, what sparked the idea and like, what, what were you doing? Yeah. Um, so bike ride for black lives was actually sparked because of the police unity tour, which I told you was that that 250 mile bike ride that we honored officers that were killed in line of duty. And during this time, when I can't protest, I can't rally. I'm like, well, I wonder if my department will allow me to ride my bike in honor of, you know, the black community that's um, suffered such atrocities. So I um, had three components to it. Um, The first one was that we would ride 400 miles throughout the month of July to honor the 400 year fight for racial justice for black and African-Americans. Additionally, if you break that 400 miles down throughout like the 31 days in July, it roughly equals about 12 miles a day. So I was like, hey, how great would it be if the community came together on one of those days to ride our 12 miles together in solidarity um, about what's happening? And so that's where the community awareness ride came from. Um, And then lastly, we had a fundraising piece where we would fundraise for national and local organizations that were doing the work. Um, So instead of reinventing the wheel, like how can we how can we bring financial support to organizations that are doing the work? Um, And so for the last four years now, that is what we've done in July is um, the 400 miles, our community awareness ride and fundraising except for this year. Uh, we, took a, we took a break from the 400 miles unless people wanted to challenge themselves that way and the fundraising piece. Um, because I noticed for my own mental health, it's a lot to organize these things. And you know, we, we are only so many years post that COVID time period and I'm exhausted to be honest with you. So <laughs> we, we continue to do the community awareness ride in partnership with Ride for Racial Justice this year. And um, a- again, had amazing community showing. So we, we continue the work, but you know, we scale it to like what fits for the community during that time. I love that. And so is the right, is right for racial justice. Is that how you got pulled into gravel? Did you connect with them and then that team or how did you get into gravel cycling? Yes. So um, I had actually kind of heard about gravel uh, earlier, 2020, a friend um, uh, who is on the distance to empty team now. Uh, um, Her name is Teresa Metzger. And she was like, Hey, I got this really cool bike. Do you want to see it? And I was like, yes. She's like, it's called a gravel bike. And I was like, what is a gravel bike? And she was like, it's this cool hybrid between like a road bike, mountain bike, but like, we don't go up rocks and stuff. And I was just like, Oh, please show me. And we went for a ride one day and I was just like so intrigued because I had gotten into trail running. And so I kind of considered gravel, the trail running, you know, of the, of the biking world. And um, so after in 2020, after that first July bike ride for Black Lives, I met um, the Ride for Racial Justice folks in Boulder during their community ride. Um, and they're phenomenal. And obviously, I sit on the board for Ride for Racial Justice today. Uh, and about a month after that, I got connected with Trek. And um, uh, Trek was kind of like, hey, we, we want to help you with the work that you're doing. Um, and like, how can we support you? Um, so that's where my learning with Alicia series started, where it was like, um, Jimmy, who is a, one of the only BIPOC mechanics I've ever had the pleasure of meeting out here in Colorado, was the manager of the truck store at the time. And we created this series so that people could learn along with me. Jimmy was teaching me and that's like we were teaching people in our own community how to do bikes. Basic things like how to change a tire and um, like how do you even like know what bike fits you right? Like how do you know what kind of correct bike do you want? How do you find a kit? Do you even want to ride in kits? Like just simple things on the very basic level that I didn't even know as a very novice writer. Um, and so Trek 
I kind of like had my little Oprah moment where they're like, Hey, is there anything you like interested in cycling? Like, you know, bike wise, like anything you want to get into, but you haven't really. And I was like, well, I would really love a gravel bike someday, but I don't think that like, I will ever be able to see like gravel. I saved up all my pennies for my road bike. Um, and with the help of Chuck, I was able to get my first gravel bike. And with the help of Ride for Racial Justice and breaking down barriers and um, to cycling, I got to attend Steamboat, you know, the year after that in 2021. And that was like my intro to gravel. Um, so they were all, I call them my series of like serendipitous moments that with like, without the help of like RFRJ and then Trek, like I wouldn't, I don't know that I would have ever been able to get into the gravel scene, but it was Teresa was the first one who was like, hey, come check out my gravel bike. And now you're headed back. Steamboat. And now I'm headed back and literally just under 24 hours, I head back to Steamboat for a Steamboat weekend. That's awesome. Yeah, I what, do love, to, oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say, what 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 uh, distance are you, what color are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so funny fact, um, the last two years I've done the red <clears throat> distance. It's just such a beautiful course. It's challenging. It's like the right amount. This year I'm doing green. Um, and I am doing green because I want to finish fast and enjoy the expo finish line party. Like Steamboat knows how to throw a good gravel party afterwards. And I want to do the shorter route just so I could come back and enjoy it. Nice. That's a smart move because I did green the year I went. I did green because I had like, I'd moved that summer and I'd barely been on the bike. And um, it was so fun, like a great ride. I got back, I went and got one of those delicious cinnamon rolls. I went and showered. <laughs> I was at the finish line to watch everybody come in. So it was like perfect. And even with my friends, I like would take their bike from them when they came in and go wash it for them and stuff. Yeah. So. It, I have, I have heard that like the green route is a really great route. I mean, let's be honest. Like, I'm sure that all of the routes are great, yeah. but I, I will never see blue or black. <laughs> I will never know what those courses look like. <laughs> I liked the blue one. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the black one, but that was also probably like, I didn't want to be on the bike that long that day. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Grumpy Christie was coming out. <laughs> yeah. Those, they are like everyone who's ever done like a gravel century or plus, like they're like my gravel heroes. And, <laughs> and I think that's also why I like to get to the finish line is like 99.9% .9 of the time. Like, I don't know that there's a single gravel race that I've been to where the winner of the longest distance hasn't beaten me on the shortest course. Like I am the party pace queen. You will find me stopping at all the aid stations, having fun, high fives, like every, everything imaginable you can do on course, slip and slide. I'm doing it. So by the time I get back, the, the winner of the longest distance has already beaten me. Um, and I just, I enjoy cheering everybody else on as they come into those and make those amazing feats. Well, I believe that this is, it's going to happen this year. Cause I did stop for the whiskey shots at the top Ooh. of the and mm -hmm. the ski lift picture. So I think you can do it. <laughs> crossing, crossing my fingers. Uh, Cause I, I actually think Steamboat's doing something a little bit different this year where I think they have the blue, the red and the green going, and then the black. Like, or, or it's the opposite. It's, it's black, red, and green. And then the blue, either way, one of the longer distances is leaving after everybody else. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Huh, I um, haven't looked at that yet. Now I'm going to have to check that out. I noticed I it was something why. they did in Finland too. Um, like they had the middle distance go and then the longer distance and then the shortest. distance. I, I don't quite know what the logic is behind that one, but something exists there. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. We'll have to ask Amy uh, what the 
why she's doing that. Why don't we just call her today? Yeah. I'll just call Amy. Hey, Amy, welcome to the podcast. We're on the podcast that we need to know right now. (laughs) Um, One of the most frustrating things about going to big gravel races in the last two years is I have been getting sick pretty much every time I travel. And I travel about once a month for work or to a big gravel event or something related. And it's so frustrating when I get there and I can already feel the sore throat and the cold coming on. And it really takes me out for several weeks. And that's why I'm excited about our new podcast sponsor, Prevenex. We've worked with Prevenex within our Feisty Brands for a long time. If you listen to Hit Play Not Pause, you've heard about joint support. Um, you've also heard about how their great protein powder. But I am really obsessed with this product called Immune Health Plus. It has helped me go from getting sick every time I travel to I have not been sick one time this year. And and I've also been on the road a good bit already this year. So it has everything that you need for immune health support, and it's way better than anything you're going to find in a grocery store or health food store. It's supercharged with immune-boosting ingredients like elderberry fruit, extract, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, and calcium. Now, if you want to stay healthy through your race season this year, you're going to use the code Girls Gone Gravel for 15% off your first purchase of Immune Health Plus or any of their other products. That's Girls Gone Gravel for 15% off of your purchase. And you go to Prevanex.com. You can find that in the show notes. So tell us, I I don't actually think we've had anybody from Ride for Racial Justice on the podcast like on a full episode. So tell us a little bit about that, just so people are wondering what that is. Oh, yeah. Um, so Ride for Racial Justice is a nonprofit that is based out of Denver. Um, and it was co-founded by Neil Henderson, um, who you, you may also know as a sports scientist for Wahoo Fitness, um, and Marcus Robinson, who both of those old school racers. Um, and it is important to note that Neil is white and Marcus is black. Um, and Ride for Racial Justice really came out of the notion that when George Floyd happened, um, Neil called Marcus and was like, Hey dude, like, how are you doing? And checking up, up on him. And Marcus was like, you know what? I don't feel safe enough to go out on the streets. You know, I don't feel safe enough to ride. You know, people often forget that the same year that George Floyd happened, Ahmaud Aubrey, who was running in a neighborhood was also murdered. Um, and so Neil was like, Hey dude, like I will assemble cyclists and we will go out as a community to kind of ride. Um, and then the two of them together was like, Hey, we're probably not the only two that feel this we need to create an organization where people can get together and ride and feel safe to ride together. And that's where Ride for Racial Justice was really birthed. Um, and then um, in that first year, uh, you know, probably one of the fastest orgs to become a nonprofit, Marcus and one of the original co-founders of Steamboat had had a conversation prior to his passing about like, hey, like how can we get more diversity up at Steamboat Gravel? How can we make this happen? Um, and thankfully, Amy Charity was like, yes, I'm on board. Um, uh, let's break down some of these barriers. And so one of Ride for Racial Justice's like important projects that we do is our BIPOC athlete program in conjunction with Steamboat. Um, so for the first two years, it was 25 athletes. This year, we've extended it to 30. Um, and we bring 30 BIPOC athletes to the start, uh, start line of Steamboat by breaking down every barrier imaginable for most racers. So um, in January, they begin their training with the help of Wahoo. They're provided, you know, Wahoo computers and access to the Wahoo platform. And of course, they're coached by Neil Henderson. We have monthly team meetings. Um, and then additionally, our RFRJ provides them with their transportation to get to the race. So if you're flying or driving, um, you know, we pay for that. We pay for your housing while you're at Steamboat. Um, we pay for your food. 
we get you a kit so that you can feel in community with everybody that you're with. Um, and we, all of this, and we build community um, while we're doing that. And so this is our third cohort of athletes. So at this point, we have over 75 athletes over the last three years that, you know, we've been able to bring these communities to. So I feel like the RFRJ community is really strong because now they get together at like Mid-South and you'll see them at Foco Fondo and you'll see them at Unbound and they'll get together and they'll talk about these experiences that were originally created from their, you know, their membership in RFRJ for that cohort year. Um, and so really the organization, that's what we continue to do, consult with like race directors, you know, other organizations, clubs, and like, hey, how can we continue to break down these barriers and create cycling to be a more inclusive and diverse space? That's wow. awesome. So cool. Yeah, I love that. And I love that um, that it's very focused on like the whole process of training, because mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes like that's what makes people love it and have great experiences actually. Right. When you show, you show up and you feel prepared and you actually have fun on your ride. Cause you're not like, I wasn't prepared for this <laughs> and this sucks because I didn't know what mile 60 was going to feel like because I haven't trained, you know, I think that creates lifelong cyclists when you feel well, like and also like, honestly, lifelong ambassadors, like you would hope that those, that experience would be making you want to help pay it forward too, to provide that to the next, the next generation and the next group of, of cyclists. So well, that's, and that's our hope. That's yeah. our hope is that like, because of the community that was created, you know, just surrounding the buildup to that steamboat weekend, that when the athletes go home from that weekend, you know, their little pockets of space, which is also international now, because last year we had some folks from Canada and the UK, um, you know, when they go home, that they want to continue the work that they did with RFRJ in their own communities. You know, we, one of our current athletes has started his own BIPOC ride group once a week, um, you know, to be able to get together and be in community and to ride with each other. And so, um, absolutely, you know, we, we want to give them tools to be successful, but then to continue that work outside of just the time that they got in Steamboat. Love it. Yeah. Um, well, you've changed careers again. <laughs> how did that come about <laughs> oh my goodness uh George Floyd I feel like you know I, I feel like George it, Floyd uh, really changed your life he did he did it, I mean it, I, it will be a, a foundational moment in my life for a long time um, but in truth um uh one um after George Floyd rightfully so being a police officer was just more mentally challenging Um, and two, after George Floyd, the bicycle became a very big steeple in my life. And I found a lot more joy on the bicycle, um, than I did in that career field. And I had the opportunity weird at Steamboat last year, uh, someone let me know that SRAM had a community specialist position open, um, that I applied for and then received. And so I am working on my second master's in social work and building communities and how do we, you know, impact communities. And so getting the opportunity to transition from law enforcement, where I was doing just a different kind of community work, um, to uh, SRAM, where I feel like, you know, when you show up with a bicycle, everyone's excited (laughs) um, to see you and not so much when they see you in a blue uniform, um, that I I wanted to find more joy in my life. Um, Additionally, it stemmed from uh, almost two years ago, now my dad unexpectedly passed. And it was kind of a reminder about how short life was uh, and um, remembering to live each day. Uh, I know that's so cliche, but to truly live each day, but then like you shouldn't be necessarily in a place where you feel stressed and overwhelmed and you know, everything else, every single day, life is so short, you know, whenever an opportunity comes, like grab it. And when this 
uh, again, I say serendipitous a lot because I feel like that's how my life works. Like one event leads to another. And it was actually Marcus Robinson in a meeting that I was having with Jimmy, um, my mechanic partner. Uh, and they both very beginning in 2020 were like, you know, you're going to end up in the bike career, right? You know, yeah. you're going to end up in the bike industry. And I was like, there's no way. And here I am less than, less than, you know, three years later, and I'm working for SRAM as their community specialist now. So it's a perfect role for you. <laughs> I love it. I mean, seriously, like, I think, I think the, the big piece too of the bike that a lot of people really turn to is that mental health component. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there is the, there is the physical side of it, but truthfully, like what the bike does for me more than anything is just that, that mental health release and that, that, that it provides me. So it's really, that's really cool that you've got that background and you know, are tapping into it through SRAM's job, it's, which is great. I, I can't remember. I, I, you know, in fact, I, I don't know that I'll ever know the article, but my best friend back in the day, he'd read an article and it had said that like in someone's lifetime, they could have upwards of seven different careers. So I feel like when the calling comes and it's time to create change careers, that's when it was meant to happen. And so mental health counselor to police officer to community specialist at SRAM, like I definitely feel like destiny has driven me in this area to, to make a difference here. Well, yeah. it's interesting you say destiny because when I hear your story, I'm like, you're actually somebody that takes tragedy and turns it into opportunity. Mm. Like mm. I, see, I just see that in you. You're not, you're like, okay, this is hard. This is challenging to me, but how can I create an opportunity? How can I move things forward? And I think that's a pretty special skill set. So funny that you say that. I'm like, I'm not, resi- I'm not wearing my resilient shirt today. <laughs> <laughs> Normally I feel like that's a pretty, when I wear that one, people like automatically spot me. And I'm like, I think, I think you're right. And I appreciate you pointing out the perspective because often when we're, we're living in it, we're not really seeing it for ourselves. A hundred percent. Yeah. You're just doing what, what Alicia does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is just what I do. <laughs> Get out of my way. I got you. <laughs> We're coming through. It. <laughs> so what are your, uh, what are your hopes and dreams that you can continue to bring to this role? Like with all your background and things you've learned? Yeah. Well, actually I'm in this really unique position. So, um, when I started at SRAM, I kind of was on a team of three and now it's kind of just a team of me. Um, but what SRAM has given me the opportunity to do is actually reimagine what this community team looks like. And so, uh, with the help of both internal and external partners. So like, um, External meeting our ambassadors and our athletes that we currently partner with and we work with to do community work with. Additionally, um, internal partners that you know might might work in Marcom or engineering, um, and partnering them and really being like, hey, like how can we create an industry leading community program? Um, and that's a new space for me to be in to be able to be like, hey, I came into this role, but now I really get to create this role so that it's meaningful and it's authentic, and I get to do the work that I set out to do, which was really bringing everybody into bikes, especially populations that haven't historically been targeted by the bike industry. So everybody but white men. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's, let's be honest. Let's just be honest. <laughs> We still like you, white man, if you're listening yeah, to our podcast. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> well, That's- I mean, it's it's where you're just you're just putting the efforts where the efforts are needed, where they yeah. haven't been put before. That's that's yeah. what it and is. I, and and truthfully, I had never uh, I you know, and I say people from my 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 population, and I'm really talking about like black women in general, like people, people from my community 
um, have dreamed of like a position like mine being within a global company, a brand um, that has like the ability to make change or create change or impact the communities. And I think it's a really special thing that SRAM like, you know, put into motion and then is allowing someone who belongs to the community to really take hold of and like steer it forward. Um, I think more brands could really like pay attention to that and really own it and not be necessarily uh, performative in their actions. And that's something I want to steer away from. I don't, I don't want our community team to feel performative. Again, I want us to be doing authentic work that matters to the community that we, uh, you know, are partnering with. Yeah. Y'all did some really cool activations at Seawalks. Seawater, seawater, seawater. Sea <laughs> that's a new one. <laughs> that's where that's where the sea otters live. In yeah, the sea water. Sea water. Oh God! Wow, dad joke. Wow. So long. I worked all weekend. It's been a long, it's been a long week already. Is it only Tuesday? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um. Well, that's amazing, and I'm so glad that you're in that role. Um. I do have an important question, though. Yep. Do you, do you ever, do you ever get your police officer face when like you're at an expo and you're like, mm. Oh, it is so funny that you're asking me that question right now, because a uh, fun fact, I was just at Crankworks um, <laughs> and I may or may not have had to bounce uh, several people out of, of, of certain venue spaces. So um, yes, it does very much come up. Um, which I find uh, in this particular moment, like a, a white man very much wanted to get in my face. And it was like, dude, you don't want to do this. And clearly you don't know my background. Um, and, and, and all of the politeness and inner me that I could muster, did this gentleman get escorted out in the most beautiful of ways? But that's, you know, yes, they're, they're very much, people ask me all the time, do I miss being a police officer? Every day. Every day I miss being a police officer. Um, I think the like helper in me will never, you know, be out of that. And truthfully, there's nothing that says I won't be a police officer again someday. Um, in the state of Colorado, we have what's called uh, our post certification or our police officer standard and training. It's what we receive after the academy and we've passed our written tests and, you know, all of the other physical tests. Um, and I have that for three years. Uh, post leaving, you know, last October. So you might just see Officer Zellner or Corporal Zellner like reappear. I feel like my my uh, ex chief asks me every day if I'll come back, and sometimes mm-hmm. I'm tempted. Um, so there's there's nothing that says that I might not pop back into that career field again someday. But I do miss it almost every day. Yeah, uh, I I could I could see. I mean, I can see you being great at whatever you do. Um, That's like I want you to be a police officer again. <laughs> <laughs> I know we need, we need police officers. Oh, yeah, there, we do. there's a woman that's a police officer at my gym and she's like, like the most outgoing, friendly, you would never know she was a police officer. Like if you met her in gym life, right. Yeah. And she coaches there too. And we were there like one Saturday and we have a, uh, an, a pretty large house population that's kind of down near the gym and two guys walked in and I just was like, I've never seen that face before, but that is Molly's police face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And it does, it does, my wife would often say like, she she would tell me I'm not on duty when I literally wasn't on duty. And now she has to tell me all the time, like, you're not a police officer. I was like, you're right. (laughs) You're right. But I mean, it's very, it's very much like an indoctrinated personality. There's so much that you have to encapsulate and be aware of. And my situational awareness, I don't think will ever go away. So many, many skill sets and useful tools did I get when I was a police officer. So last year I think it was it was it was a helpful piece last year at Steamboat where I helped fight for life uh an athlete who took a descent on a blind curve too fast and you know helped place a sea collar and then you know do everything else and I was like yep 
these tools will always, I think, forever be with me and I'll, I'll always be, you know, there to help whenever I can. So the reason that you're not finishing before the pros is because you're stopping to help people. <laughs> because you're helping the not pro because you're like studying too, too much on the course. <laughs> you know, Marley, Marley Blonsky and I, we had one uh, heck of a time on the course last amazing. year. Yeah. We finished hand in hand, but yes, we, we did fix. I didn't even know how many tires we, she gave someone her heart rate monitor battery to put into their shifter because their shifters had died. We fly for life someone out of there. So she was directing traffic while I was doing everything else with the EMT. You know, we, we, there was a huge thunderstorm on the mountain. So we like hid by a garage. We definitely did bourbon shots, you know, at the top of Mount Butter. Like Marley and I had a blast last year, but um, uh, eight hours on the course was a long time, but it was such a blast. So you're right. I might be not making it back before the pros because I'm doing an absorbent amount of activities. Yeah. yeah. Well, and having a blast on course. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> The moral of this story is go find Alicia to race and ride with her. <laughs> we'll have so much fun. Definitely come find me. I just want to be there to video when the police officer face comes out. Like I really <laughs> want to catch that. <laughs> it's a it's a special one. It definitely yeah. is because truthfully, like even you know as an officer, like I would call my mom voice, and I'm like, you did. I'm not even a mom, but you don't want my mom voice to come out because then you know it's super serial. It's super yeah. serial at that point. Yeah. So yeah. it's whenever it gets serious, you're like, you don't want to see that come from Alicia because she's super bubbly all the time. So when that reverse change happens, like it's going to be it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> I think you would get along with my friend Molly. Cause I, she's it's like, this, I was like, hmm. <laughs> so, anyway, well, is there anything else that you want? I, I've loved this conversation. Is there anything else you want our community to know? Uh, keep, keep fighting a good fight. I know that we're exhausted. I, you know, all of the amazing work that the different orgs are doing across the country, you know, to bring more women into sport, to bring more BIPOC into to sport, you know, it's exhausting. And like, you know, post COVID, post economic crisis, like you name it, like we're tired, but keep fighting a good fight because you're not alone and, and we're all in it to do it together. So let's collab more. I, I needed that. to hear that today, Alicia. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> And then where is the best place for people to find you if they want to connect with you or maybe ride with you at Steamboat? Yep, so yep. So a uh, plethora of places. Uh, most famously, you can find me obviously on IG as uh, epic underscore strong. Um, I also have a website. It's www.bike, the number four, blacklives.com. Um, and then you can email me also um, at bike, the number four, blacklives at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been uh, so refreshing to have these conversations. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.